welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, today is G20 Day. Yeah, yeah, I know. Wow. And uh, I guess uh, President Trump really put Putin in his place today. Absolutely. <laughs> Trump, uh, Trump and Putin have no disagreement. Did you see one of the protesters? One of the protests, it was just a bunch of people, like zombies, and they just like were like, like marching slowly. This year, it's so cool. If I was going to protest, I would have protested as a zombie. Hands down. I mean, that that sounds like such a great time. Yeah, I do. You know, one thing I have noticed: there's an innovation with reporters. They're not wearing helmets, which seems to be an infinitely good idea because they were getting pelted. Uh, they were running, following them. The protesters and such. There seems – I think you can get a pension in Germany by being a professional protester. They seem to have a set group of – you know, there's still a, a very active uh, left-wing anarchist group there. And uh, I don't know. It seems to be there. They, in Russia, you can get a prison sentence <laughs> as, a, as a protester. Or a little, a little radioaction, radioactivity in your drink, yeah. Now, I uh, – you know, part – it's just too much. I mean, you know what um, – Donald Trump is what he is, uh, and all this uh, watching every step, <laughs> every step he takes, he'll be will be watching you. It's just, it's not healthy. It's not good. It's not helpful. Uh, you know, I, it's just, uh, oh my gosh, the you know again in the over analysis of what he's going to do, uh, what he might do, and then they're talking about what's going to be said in a meeting that only four people are in. So I, it was, it got much for me. I turned it off and. Did we should say this is Friday Night Lights and we need the booze today. The what? I said we didn't oh, we need oh. the booze today because uh, this is to uh, Scotland. It's, uh, yes. Which is produced. This is the teacher's. Um, it's it's nice it's, for the you, for the price you pay. It was 16 very, bucks or something. Very nice. Very sale. nice. So Today's episode is being brought to you by. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but anyway. Now we, answer me this though before you. Right. So the G20, right? That's the 20 nations that are the biggest... GDP yeah, in the world. Yeah, that, that uh, exploit the rest of the world with <laughs> three countries. So, <laughs> but care. How long has the G20 been meeting? Oh, I don't know when it first started. It was a smaller number at one point. It expanded it. Once again. I, oh, you go into that. I, I go into the internet. I think, you know, the G20 certainly goes back to Clinton, I think. Um, but it wasn't always 20. I was it to G8 before? It was G8 before. It, it grew. Yeah. G20. So this is the history of the G20. International Forum for Central Bank Governor, Governor Central Bank for the 20 major economies. And it's founded in 1999. So. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Back to Clinton. So can you, like, if somebody falls down to 21, do they get replaced? Is it like, <laughs> like, I mean, is this, is this a fixed roster or is it? I don't know. That's a good question. It could be like the, uh, you know, English Premier Soccer League. You know, you, if your record isn't good, you drop down to the to the to the next uh, the bottom of the uh, lesser league. That could be the way it should go. I don't know. I don't know. But at any rate, they met uh, at the in the country of the leader of the free world, Angela Merkel. Did you see that Putin knows that she doesn't like dogs, and so uh, at their meeting, he brought a dog in. Yeah. No, he's uh no. He kept what he kept Obama waiting for an hour. He kept. Uh, Kerry waiting for two and a half hours. Now he's 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 a piece of work. Psyops, man. But you know what's funny? He doesn't like to be he doesn't like to be pictured with people that are taller than him, which apparently is everybody. He's not a very he's tall. not a tall man. Yeah, he's not no. a tall man. But they said that basically that uh, 
Tillerson said that they'd leave it to the intelligence agencies to prove, you know, Putin wanted proof of this and thought the inte- he would leave it to the intelligence. Well, they asked to t- President Trump offer proof of the hacking. He said, well, well we're going to leave that to the intelligence agencies. And one of the commentators, the intelligence commentators, MSNBC, who I really like, interesting guy, he said, I think it's a great idea. And you should hire O.J. Simpson to help out. And at the same time, they could figure out who really killed Nicole. <laughs> And while this is even going on, someone's trying to hack into our power grid. So anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Don't hack in until give us 30 minutes. Well, you know what? We should have a contingency plan when the grid goes down. We'll, 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 do, we'll do new persuasive words like on your front porch. Yeah, we could just do it with like a bullhorn. Bullhorn. Well, and yeah, bring, bring and torches. <laughs> that, could turn into a, that could turn into our own little personal uh, protest. Hey, I, I, I like protest. You know, I like protesting in Clement. I was, I was involved in the protest for the second Iraq war, and it was so cold. I was like, why can't we start wars in spring? <laughs> I, I actually was with one one time. Uh, is with this uh, group that's actually, it's modest. They're trying to get... Uh, Illegal gun, bought guns that are bought illegally off the streets. That's that's. Oh, was that in Philly? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I did it in uh, in Delaware County because there's an interfaith group in Philly. That yeah, same group. that's a great group. Yeah, it's a great group. They put on a play that I saw. Yeah. It was quite good. Yeah, and they sponsored it. Yeah, and at any rate, but I was, it was it was great. I was with there was some. I went there because I was part of. I was. I was I cared about it, but was also involved in the city and, and just had known families that had lost loved ones during a, a shooting uprising. So I went there, and uh, there were some, there were folks from Chester that were there. But then there were these group of people that <laughs> were, you know, I mean, there were these some ancient, you know, radical nuns, and there were some Quakers and some people, you know, hippies that, you know, you could tell that they had once been hippies. And I was, this one nun was great. She said, wouldn't it be great if we got arrested? I go, nah, nah, not really. <laughs> I got things to do. <laughs> I don't really want to get arrested. So let's just keep this legal. Let's just keep it within the Constitution. So anyway, yeah, interesting thing. So today, we, so we had this plan. So several, several of you will have noticed. It's interesting. When we get new listeners, I always say to people, start with the thing we did most recently because that's what it sounds like now. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> yeah. that's what we're doing lately. By I, the way, I, can I, just, I was listening to a podcast that remained nameless. And it was something I'm interested in. It was history. And, but have you ever heard one where they record in stereo? Where like the one there was a dialogue and one person was in one ear and the other. That was so un, un Yeah, that's a mistake. I mean they didn't. That was so unnerving. <laughs> yeah, they didn't mean to they oh. shouldn't have recorded it that way. Oh my gosh, it was kinda of, it took me back to the seventies. It was like a it was like a flashback. <laughs> yeah, I mean you yeah. Yeah, it was they it was, they probably didn't mean to do to that. To do that. All right. Well, at any rate. So uh, it, it, some people like have listened to some early episodes and some of those we are not available just because they're recorded in a different format, and I haven't converted them yet. It's, it's a handful of the earliest ones, but we wanted, and, we've, and we've been sued multiple times. And we've been sued multiple times, yeah. <laughs> and the sound quality also is not yeah. what it is today. But. Now I have to say, it's one of the most amazing things that you all don't get to see. But what Scott has done and learned—I mean, to really become—I mean, he is an expert on this, and what he's taught himself in sound, everything has been amazing. And uh, I'm just honored. The to evolution be of the bunker. The bunkers really evolved, but frankly, um, you know, he, uh, I'm trying to convince him to do it for money because he gives a lot of free advice out there. He's learned a lot. Well, we're trying. Also, sponsors. You can <laughs> we thank our sponsors right. again, but also anyone that wants to sponsor us. Right. Uh, but, yeah, and I, but I do think if any of you think about doing your own podcast, please, I think Scott would be someone who would be a great resource. Me, you know, I'll help you with your problems in life. Absolutely. Or if your church is falling apart, I'll, I'll help you with that. So – 
we one of there's a few episodes that we were talking the other night as as we often do, and we were saying that like we thought we wanted to revisit a few of the early topics because we would do them differently now. We just you know we've got sort of a better sense of what we're doing and yeah, and they were I think they were important topics, and so we are going to be revisiting some of the earlier topics, and um, we have uh, not lit, so it's kind of a fresh take, but. Uh, so I hope you will enjoy. If you didn't, if you missed them the first time, here they are. And then if you didn't get them, then this will probably, or if you did listen, this is probably something that will feel totally different to you. Yeah, and I have very little idea what we said on this topic before, but we are going <laughs> to talk about fight or flights. Are we going to? Are you going to leave that in that you said we really don't remember what we talked about? I don't. Do you, I don't. I mean, I, I, have I kind some, of. Well, I mean, I know the. T- I vaguely remember. I, I I remember a couple things we said, but I mean, I don't. Like I mean, that was a hundred. Okay, this is episode I think one hundred and forty-seven. <laughs> that was a hundred. And I would guess at least 25 podcasts yeah. ago. By the way, next week we're going to redo, can Donald Trump get elected? <laughs> okay, no, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we wanted to take a quick break from our conversation about fight and flight to thank a few of you, our sponsors. Leia Paulos, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan Morseberger and Josh Redder. Thank you all for being my Patreon sponsors. If you want to sponsor this podcast and help keep this content that you enjoy coming out, please just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. And there you can find information about how to give. If you give just five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on this podcast and help develop some future podcast projects that will be unfolding in the future. Thanks again to sponsors. And please, if you like this podcast, consider becoming a Patreon sponsor. And now back to our conversation about fight and flight tendencies in the human condition. Well, there you go. Fight or flight. That's there. That This is like w- what many people feel right now. Fight or flight. Now, so it's interesting that, that I, I, th- there's a book I really think a lot of by Friedman. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, is, it Ed, is it Edwin Friedman? I didn't bring my, but you. Um, it, it is Friedman. Friedman. Let's go to the title. Loss of nerve. Or, failure of nerve. Yeah. The failure of nerve. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's a great book. It really was Edwin Friedman. It, it is Edwin Friedman. It'd been really helpful if you like had given me that book years ago. <laughs> if everybody, you know, everybody. Yeah. I, I recommended to somebody in a podcast group the other day who who posted a question. I said, you know. It sounds like this book would really relate to everybody that's ever read it that I've shared it with. Has thought has thought it is amazing, and it's basically a book about leadership and anxiety. Uh, and but it's a really family systems kind of approach. I mean, one of his principles is that a lot of people think that you should treat a family different than a hospital administrative wing, different than an army division different than a presidential cabinet. He's like, as a guy that's been in family systems for years, he's consulted with several presidents, the army war department, mm-hmm. Bethesda started his own synagogue, was a therapist for years. This guy, I actually think they're a lot more alike than they're dissimilar. Yeah, no, I, I think I have, uh, I found, I found in my own experience and I found it certainly in my consulting experience that a lot of things, workplaces, volunteer organizations, churches, staff really, you know, they take on family systems and have, and bring, not only do they have their own kind of family dynamic, but every everybody brings their own family issues. Absolutely, to that. And it's funny because he said that after a while in counseling, what he realized was he was a rabbi again. He started as a guy and a full and a therapy a clinician. He said that he would find who the leader was in the family and just work with them because the chronically anxious ones would subvert all the work in therapy. He said, but if I could get the leader right. 
and I could calm them down and they could get what I was saying, then they could bring the rest of the family along, <laughs> yeah. which is a really interesting insight. But, but one of the things it talks about is how our brains have evolved. So you kind of have this like reptilian layer, which is, you know, our most primitive form of, of our brain. This is assuming, okay, we're all assuming that <laughs> for the purposes of this conversation, we're assuming that we have evolved from, we, that we have some common ancestry with most species. This is not a denial of God's existence, and it's not uh, at all, it, it, don't take this in any way as saying don't go to Ken Ham's theme parks, because I would go. But Right. If, for those of you having trouble, just call it the cane brain. Cane brain, yeah, the cane brain. <laughs> so basically that's, you know, this is reptilian, right. you know, it's, it's fight or flight. Like it, yeah. it, it, it's kind of, it's the most primitive part of our, of our development. And then on top of that, we've survived. Right. On top of that is the mammalian kind of level, which certain things like play or, or, you know, physical affection. I mean, you know, reptiles aren't incredibly physically affectionate. <laughs> when they, when they cuddle you, they want to eat you. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, but this is a sort of level that's where we're more, pri- and it's one of the ways we connect with, with, with animals. I mean, there's this warmth and connection. I mean, there's a, there's a real, emotional connection that's possible. And then on top of that is the for, sort of most developed, like the frontal lobe. And but I would encourage you not to develop relationships with grizzly bears. See the film. <laughs> Dude, there's a whole study about bears, and it's all, it's, a lot of it's a hoax. Their bears are not that aggressive. No, no, I, they're not. No, they wanna, they'll run away from you, except for some very specific circumstances. Right, it's like people. People will attack you more than bears, they especially will. in certain neighborhoods. But most bears do more damage than most people. Bears don't have automatic weapons. <laughs> true. That's true. Hey, right. by the way, if we can't bear arms, let's arm the bears. <laughs> no, so basically, I actually like occasionally when an animal wins. Like some, I, uh, I want somebody, it may have been my sister or somebody who was talking about a tragedy of an animal killing a hunter. I go, you know, it seems like they should get one once in a while. Once again, romantic and sentimental billboard. <laughs> the time he likes animals is when they kill a hunter. <laughs> It's, no, I have nothing against hunting. I mean, particularly, I mean, people hunt. Or know. hunters. I just like, no, I just, I just it, like somebody put some points. I like the other team to put some points on the board. I, I don't mean, want it to be a total barn. That's burner. right. I mean, you're right, right. When you're using like semi automatic weapons against a deer, you know, it's nice occasionally these poor animals win something. Yeah. So basically, part of Friedman's theory is that like so much of what, why we can't get anything done, we have so much family dysfunction, governmental dysfunction, society, it's like chronic anxiety and. He thinks that when we're chronically anxious, that we, when we hit hard anxiety points, we get, we descend to that reptilian part yeah. of the brain. Like yeah. we can't, so get our, at our best moments when we're calmest, it's sort of where the full development of our brains, the frontal lobe, the rational, can actually analyze situations. So, you know, when that, when we're anxious, the more anxious we get, the less our frontal lobe takes over and, and more things like tr- body traumatic memories and, and things like that take place. And our central nervous system freaks out and tries to deal with it. And, and we're not dealing with it with all of our resources. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting. I think, um, and this is where one level, the majority of people, okay, again, you can pick up specific situations, but let's just use America. Okay. Unless you're a young African-American. Okay? <laughs> I'm talking about, and I'm very serious. It's a tragedy, but uh, America is generally safer than most societies have been. I mean, the things that the, the things that you had to contend with uh, on a regular basis, um, whether it be disease, you know, uh, no warning about weather systems, um, 
whether it just be having antibiotics. Unless you live in Colorado Springs. I just, I just, uh, sorry, I mean, that's true. I mean, where some, this business guy yeah. took over. It was like, yeah. I'm going to run the government like a business, slashed everything. This one woman traded her flat screen TV for a shotgun because they cut all the police ships and there were no street lights. That's right. All you libertarians, uh, take a look at what happened in Colorado Springs. That's the transit. You know, they have the transition phases. Like, this is the transition species. That's the transition city. To Mad Max Beyond Thunder Gods. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I don't, and I, and it is related to the fact that it is a mecca for conservative Christianity as well. That's the first time I ever saw the bumper sticker. Uh, I was there for some conference. I saw a bumper sticker, focus on your own damn family. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but I think it's interesting to me that we live with such a high degree of anxiety. You know, even we referred to Dan Carlin the other uh the other ep- one a few episodes ago where what 40,000 there were 40,000 bombings in this country from like during the uh, 16 months of during Nixon's presidency and how we again I, again I was a kid so I I don't totally remember what was going on with the adults and it was an anxious time. There's a lot of stuff going on. Vietnam, the protest, you know, there was it was a very divided time. Um, I think it's hard for us to remember the emotions. In other words, you know, we, you know, now feels very divided, but the country is extremely divided during that time period. But you know, what would be going on now if? Oh God! Yeah, uh, because uh, we would have shredded the Constitution. I mean, yeah, yeah, because of the post nine eleven, the the anxiety. Uh, and I, wasn't he saying the stuff? Some of the stuff Nixon was criticized for then that we would think nothing of right, now. No. I mean, post nine eleven, we've just, been, we've been, you know, every, I, you know, I do think it's a bait and switch. Get everybody worried about the Second Amendment. Why? Why more important amendments get watered down? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's. Uh, I'm not a conspiracy guy, but if I was going to do it. That's how I would do it because, uh, you know, the search and seizure and things like that, uh, it's it's a very, uh, you know, we are not uh, as protected in terms of our civil rights as we were 20 years ago. And I think a lot of it is, again, and I'm not minimizing, I mean, I lived through 9-11. I had people, I, I didn't have, I didn't lose anyone in 9-11, but I had close friends that did. Uh, and so I'm not minimizing at all that but even looking at uh, i mean the total disarray of the middle east in some levels is a, is because of probably our overreaction to anxiety yeah yeah and I, you know i mean it's a hundred hundred a million people killed and uh probably approaching to a million people killed and and more than that displaced and societies that'll take uh decades to recover if they ever do. And many or most of us default to either fight or flight. I mean, we joke about the president. We kid the president. But, I mean, you see this in Donald Trump, right? I mean, he his instinct, right, when he feels, it seems like a little anxious, and if you're president, you're going to feel some anxiety, is is combative. It's always been that way, though. Yeah, right. And, And I think that that's, you know, that is where he feels comfortable when I think he's a little anxious. You know, you he's, mix it up. He's very, he's, he's very in tune with his reptilian brain. <laughs> and we know people that are, are flight people. You, you know, people that like, yeah. you, 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 that, you know, whether it's a church board or a family member or somebody where you're just like, come on, can't we just like stop this intolerable state of affairs? And like, nah, we can't confront this. I mean, because that's, yeah. you know, so fight or flight is such a tendency in well, all of us when we're sort of. Yeah, I, I think church is what happens with so many church leaders, and we see this in nonprofits and ministries, are by nature uh, conflict-averse. And so what that ends up doing, <laughs> the, the kind of really uh, 
incredible problems and worse things that happen often because of that. Um, and sometimes it's even done in the name of Christianity. That's the worst thing. When it's done, you know, when, when the passive-aggressive stuff is done in the name of the faith, that's the worst kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's interesting. Friedman thinks that, so, you know, every church board, every congressional voting district, you know, feel, you know, you know, poll data, I'm sure, says that we want somebody that empathizes with us, right? Yeah. But Friedman says that's the most dangerous thing, empathy, in the sense of, he's like, if we're talking about compassion, understanding, it's different. But since chronically anxious people are like viruses sometimes, they colonize other people. Right. So they, 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 they want you to feel their, they want to live off your emotion, uh, emotional and life energy. And they want you to feel their anxiety. He says the best thing you can do if you want to help unstick a chronically anxious situation is get in touch with yourself yeah, and know your anxiety triggers and know when you're going off the rails and know at the moment when everybody, when, when the crowd wants you to mirror back their anxiety, that you actually are saying what's going on in me so that I don't mirror back the anxious reaction that I have a chance at offering on a good day, maybe a calming presence and understanding presence. Yeah. You know, I used to tell um, staff and students this, you know, uh, never take it personally, even when it is. Yeah, because one of the, that's one way to kind of de, uh, I mean, sometimes you can't, you know, have you know, people back down. But my experience is most situations, whether it be a volunteer organization, whether it be a family system, whatever, whether it be an actual family or a church or whatever, you know, people want ways to, to um you know, they, they would like to back away. You know, part of my experience has been is you're never the only player. I mean, usually, you know, you may be there representing adjudicatory or you may be there because someone called you in to be a consultant or just a kind of a wise voice there. And more than a few times in my life, I've got, you know, I've, we've gotten the room calmed down and then somebody else comes in and does exactly what you said. And I've had more than a few meetings that were almost we almost walked away with something that looked like a peaceable Christian solution, but then an expert showed up and <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was the end of that. Yeah, 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 and I, yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And and so it's interesting. I want to read um, a little passage from Friedman here. And he talks about in this section. He's talking about gridlock systems. He says anyone. Oh, actually, sorry. Yeah, there we go. Anyone who has ever been part of an imagine. An imaginatively gridlocked relationship system knows that more learning will not, on its own, automatically change the way people see things or think. There must first be a shift in the emotional processes of that institution. Imagination and, indeed, even curiosity are at root emotional, not cognitive phenomena. In order to imagine the unimaginable, people must be able to separate themselves from surrounding emotional processes before they can even begin to see or hear things differently. Without this understanding, it becomes impossible to realize how our learning can prevent us from learning more. After all, when Galileo, a century later, tried to reorient the cosmic perspective of his world, he offered in rebuttal to those who were unwilling to learn what he had learned a look for themselves through his telescope. And there were people who not only disagreed with his views, but when offered the opportunity, even refused to peek. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I had a, I I don't remember if this was a professor in college or it was a honors history class. I don't remember where, which person it was. I have two images in my mind. But one of the things he said, part of the brilliance of the American military in its history was it knew how to run away. (laughs) <laughs> in, in other words, he started with, and it started with George Washington. And he said, you know, Washington uh, really only won one or two battles, you know, and, but he kept his army together and he knew the fine art of 
running away because he understood to, to keep the army intact was the task. You know, it seems to me that uh, uh, that might be a really good American characteristic to to bring back <laughs> the ability to say, "Hey, you know what? I don't need to fight here." Okay, let's see. There are or, or flight, and also flight, and yeah. also yeah. flight that's not instinctive, but a centered kind of flight. Like, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to. It's not an instinctive flight. It's actually a. It's yeah. hard. It's I I I'd rather fight. Uh, I'd, I'd rather ra- I'd rather win. I'd rather win. Yeah, but I'm gonna. The better part of wisdom here is to actually uh, live to engage another day. And equally true would be the reason, uh, the reasoned process of saying, you know what, I don't like conflict, but if I don't attack this issue right now, if I don't deal with this now, if I don't stay on the field, then um, then worse things are going to happen. I'm, yeah, I'm going to fight the same thing, probably worse. You know, I think a lot of times in relate, you know, it's funny over the years dealing with relationship counseling. You know, there are a lot of couples if they had just not left the field. In other words, if they had just tried a couple more times, or if both of them could be wanting to try at the same time, um, there might have been a different outcome. And I think that's that's again that's this idea of. Uh, the mind, the reason self, the frontal lobe, you know, ruling uh, the brainstem there a little bit. Yeah, and I, I want to read one other passage where now this is Friedman, and we all have intellectual biases, right? So, and, and except you and I, right? So. <laughs> I called you the other day about what I'm on, which we shall not talk about. Here. I know, you know, and I actually, I we won't tell you what it is, but I actually didn't think you were biased. Yeah, but I like to talk with you about these things. Yeah, we do. We do. Um, so he loves. And for a donation, you can be a part of this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry. So he, Friedman loves the age of discovery because he thinks that so much of the Renaissance, so much of the Renaissance Reformation, every, this rebirth of humanity wasn't due merely to learning, but to a, br- a breakdown of emotional myths. So he says, while there have been other half centuries of extraordinary progress, few have involved such fundamental change of direction all across the board as the age of discovery. A person born in 1492 could have witnessed in their lifetime an extraordinary flowering of artistic imagination concerning form and perspective in painting, sculpture, literature, and architecture. A reformation led by Luther and Calvin, ramifying out into almost every subculture and presaging the way religious differences will be formulated for centuries thereafter. The invention of the watch, enabling an unheralded fine-tuning in the measurement and coordination of daily time periods. Observation of space and experimentation with lenses that would lead to the creation of the telescope and the dissemination of the first newspaper initiating the effects of widespread information sharing within a community. This underlying all of this artistic, philosophical, and scientific upheaval was an even more basic, all-embracing change. The two worldviews by which European civilization had oriented itself for almost 1,500 years, based largely on the scholarship of the second-century Greek thinker and mapmaker, Ptolemy, were turned on their heads. Our misperception was the view that the landmass on our planet was situated entirely above the equator, extending contiguously from Western Europe to Eastern Asia, with the Indian Ocean a landlocked lake. The other was the notion that our planet's relationship to the rest of the planets and other heavenly bodies was geocentric. That is, the other planets and stars revolved around the Earth, which, according to this orientation, was situated at the center of the universe. So he thinks that, like, basically just this, what what the Age of Discovery did was, he talks a lot of this book about emotional myths, like myths we live by. Right. Like, I'm always going to be this way, or this person's always mm. going to be this way, or we can never get anything done legislatively because, you know, this is the way the politics right. is, or... He talks about one instance when some I think it was, it was I think it was an African runner or or maybe it was a runner with an African with a non-European or American trainer or something who broke the four minute mile or broke some record. They said, "Well, how did he do it?" And somebody said, "Easily, he didn't have an American or European trainer, so he didn't have the myth that we can't, <laughs> can't do, do that." Right? Yeah, and so I think so much of 
the fight or flight stuff that is so self-defeating for all of us yeah. is a, uh, the grace to realize that you're, you're human in the fight or flight tendencies. Right. right. And, and also the ability to imagine that there are different possibilities for you, for other people, uh, for, for things on the ground. And, and, and in a way that doesn't incre- increase weird a- anxiety producing ex- expectations on you or other people or, or the environment, but actually opens up a sort of calming possibility. Like, hey, yeah. things actually could look a little different here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Ironically, you used the word year 1492. Uh, also, that was the beginning of what would turn out to be the death of 90% of the population in the Western Hemisphere, mostly due to disease. And it was the end of a several century uh, flowering of Jewish culture in the Iberian Peninsula. And uh, that crisis, uh, something that and for, up until the Holocaust was considered the second worst thing that ever happened since the destruction of the temple. So there's always the shadow as well in that discovery. Can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, yeah, right. There's no, I mean, that, and this is part of, it's the silent use of sepulchre. We're never, there's no perfect age or era. No. Of, but I think, it, I think the fact is that we don't have, we're not bound. Um, we're not bound by our shadow self or our lesser self or our more primitive self. Yeah. And this is what Jensen says in his book, Story and Promise, that, you know, that a kind of legalistic framework makes your, um, makes your future defend on, depend on the past. Yeah. If you didn't or did or didn't do this or succeed in this way or miss this opportunity, uh, you know, well, now you're this, right? But he thinks the nature of a promise is that actually the future shapes your past. Yeah. <laughs> and so something can change actually even the way you look at your own history and everybody else. Yeah. And so I hope tonight you don't fight, you don't flight. I hope you get to dance. Absolutely. Amen to that, brother. 